to At the Breast with Claire and Caitlin. In this podcast, you will hear mother-centered stories from wild women about their own unique breastfeeding experiences. It's through sharing these stories that we hope to demystify physiological breastfeeding in the modern world, a world that is generally unsupportive to breastfeeding with obstacles like sabotaged birth, separation of mother and baby, and the devaluation of the postpartum time. Let's get it flowing. Hi, welcome to the second episode of At the Breast with Claire and Caitlin. In the last episode, I told my breastfeeding story. And today, Claire is going to share her breastfeeding story while she's actually breastfeeding her baby right now. Yeah, that's true. Well, we just stopped for a second, but we'll see how that goes for the rest of the time that I'm on here. So, yeah, uh, my name's Claire. I am the other co-host to At The Breast podcast, and I guess we'll, yeah, I'm going to share about my my two uh, breastfeeding journeys um, that I have had. So, um, I don't know. Do you have any questions before we start or anything, Caitlin? Um, how about, can you tell us how do you feel about breastfeeding today? Because your story has a lot of ups and downs and is intense. And I think that would be good for women to know how good it's going today. Oh, how good is it? So just started off with that. <laughs> well, today, I mean, today, I mean, um, breastfeeding is uh well it's amazing I'm actually entering into a new phase where I'm breastfeeding exclusively breastfeeding a um almost 11 month old and she just got her first two teeth finally so um and she still is exclusively breastfed because she's not eating solids yet um she's having a later start with that uh but breastfeeding is I mean, it's amazing because it's happening. Um, and so, <laughs> so yeah, um, I guess with that, I'll just, I'll start with the beginning of my story, which has to do with my first daughter, who I didn't get to breastfeed the way that I wanted. So um, some people may be familiar with my story or not, uh, but um, if you're not, here's the whole thing. Um, so I free birthed my first daughter um her name's Kendall I free birthed her in 2019 um I had a radical birth keeper present at my birth my ex-partner he was my partner at the time um he was present at the birth um I had a mostly wild pregnancy although I did have some appointments for paperwork purposes um, and the birth, I feel like, was pretty straightforward. It was around 22 hours of labor, maybe an hour and a half to two hours of pushing. Um, my water broke uh, right before I started pushing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved that birth. I felt like I like to describe it as romantic. It was a 
rainy day. I had my birth altar set up and it was like beautiful and rainy and gloomy outside. I had peonies that were blooming on my birth altar. Um, yeah. And then my, my daughter came into the world and she was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen in my entire life. I couldn't believe it was actually a human that came out of my body. Um, and I was definitely blissed out. Um, <laughs> there she is that's uh that's the little one squealing she's smiling right now um so you can hear me okay right okay so um let me know if you have any questions caitlin if you need me to like if I you will. have any questions I'll, about I'll the story in. yeah and if, if you um, want me to, to go into detail about something that i'm not yeah. or what, whatever I just love you describing the birth as romantic. It, so it was. Sad. It was so romantic. <laughs> it, was, it was romantic. And I just, I have that same sensation when I look in my daughter's faces, like, you are the most beautiful creature I've ever set eyes on. Yeah. My entire existence. Um, yeah. I didn't Agreed. believe in love. Yeah. I didn't believe in love at first sight until I saw my daughter and I felt such overwhelming love for her. Um, and so... So yeah, for breastfeeding, I just, I didn't do much preparation. I I bought a book, the really popular one is The Art of Womanly. The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding, yes, mm -hmm. which I, I've only read bits and pieces. I still probably would like to read the whole thing, but. Um, yeah, it's on my agenda to yeah. read that as well, because it's literally the only resource anybody would recommend to me when I was struggling. And I was like, I need something else. Yeah. And that's why um, we're I mean, podcast. Yep, that's why we're here, creating another resource. So, um, so yeah, I didn't really read it. I it's funny now to look back on, but I had this idea of postpartum is like uh, as I'm just going to be breastfeeding and my baby's going to be sleeping all the time, and I'm going to have time to journal and read, and that was the most delusional thing that I <laughs> could have thought about what postpartum was going to look like um postpartum was not like that I mean I hope that there are that there are women out there that have had have had postpartums where they could journal and read um but I did not have that so um so how yeah, was your the, support postpartum yeah so my support postpartum I think my original plan was to have just my husband with me for for the first week maybe two and then to have my mother come and stay and help and like um you know cook for me and everything and I had some freezer meals that I had done um and so that was basically my plan um and I did not have any lactation support uh, set up or anything like that I just thought I had this beautiful physiological birth breastfeeding breastfeeding might be challenging for the first couple of weeks um, but it should be fine it should be fine because my the hormonal matrix is intact everything should be fine um, I, I did thought have... oh sorry good Go I also believe that the only thing that I needed to do for to prepare for, prepare for breastfeeding was to have a physiological birth we know how that turned out <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not of that opinion anymore. I think it's very, very important to have a physiological birth. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary. Obviously, there are women who've had crazy interventions in their birth and are still able to breastfeed. Although I do think that um, definitely it can ne negatively and has negatively impacted many women. But um, but it does not. A physiological birth does not guarantee um, easy breastfeeding. Um, and there's still there's still a major learning curve. So um, so yeah, I learned that pretty quickly. Uh, so what happened? Well, that first week of postpartum, I have a lot of trauma around all, everything that happens. So that first week postpartum, uh, my baby, I have a video of her first latch. It was not a very good or deep latch. It's funny. I, I remember feeling a little bit embarrassed, but it's fine. It's like, it's her first latch. It was our first latch. I didn't know what we were doing. She was, it was very, very shallow. Um, and sometimes, I mean, you can do like, we didn't do the breast crawl, which I didn't realize the breast crawl is not something that needs to happen only within the first couple of hours of birth. You can do the breast crawl as many times as like, especially in the, in that, in the, in the, that's a, that's a reflex that they have that falling reflex and it doesn't just disappear overnight. So, um, but, uh, what happened? Yeah, she just trying to get her latch was she would latch, but trying to get a deep latch was really, really challenging. Um, I watched some YouTube videos, trying to watch YouTube videos while having a crying baby that is hungry is not was not easy or fun. Um, some of those videos could be pretty confusing. Like there was one video I watched where like mid latch they changed the vid they changed it was like if you were not paying attention you wouldn't realize that it was like a totally different position like they start off showing one position and then ended on a different position <laughs> um and it took a few times of watching the video to realize that it wasn't it wasn't like the same clip um breastfeeding was very painful um and I wasn't sure. So for me, I felt like, so I, I was really, really underprepared for what postpartum is like. I'm not sure if you can ever really be prepared for what postpartum is like. I don't know what postpartum is like for most women. Um, I feel like it, it seems really mysterious to me, honestly. Um, and I'm sure the more that I am involved in this work, I'll find out what, what it's like for women. And I think it's, it can be different because we're all different. Our babies are different. Um, but I'm sure there are definitely similarities. I mean, people said I would lose sleep, but I was not prepared for, for what I experienced, which was my baby from like, she would nurse for hours on end, like five hours at a time. Um, in those first five days, um, our nights were really, really scary for me. She wouldn't sleep she would be awake from like nine or 10 at night till nine in the morning. There was no sleep. There was only crying and nursing. Um, and I just kind of felt like, I felt like this couldn't, this can't be normal. That's what I kept feeling. I was like, this can't be normal. And then she would cry so hard that I would hear her stomach thud. 
like when she would inhale like her stomach would thud and I'm just like is this normal is her stomach empty um her diapers were not transitioning the way that uh you would expect diapers to transition if your baby is getting enough milk so her she went from meconium poops to less and less poop that still look like meconium um and yeah so the birth keeper that supported me during my birth she came maybe a few days postpartum and I mean it was good to see her and you know she said that I mean she's not she's not like an expert like her breastfeeding is not her main thing birth is her main thing and she was like well you know the latch looks okay she was like but what she did she suggested that I get an IBCLC um to come and help me which was a great suggestion um although it was a great suggestion although the IBCLC wasn't that great but it's part of our story and I think I'm so glad I think that I had her come because I think my baby, my baby needed to be supplemented at that point. And I'm not sure that, like, I needed some type of support, even if it wasn't ideal. I needed some support in some direction. My story is what it is um, at this point. So around day five postpartum, also that it was causing a lot of conflict within my relationship. My, my partner at the time could not understand why I didn't want to give the baby a pacifier, didn't understand why I didn't want to give the baby formula. Um, yeah, and was just kind of blaming me for our situation pretty much, um, instead of maybe trying to find ways that I could be helped. Um, yeah, so, uh, day five, we had a lactation consultant come and visit us and, she believed that the baby had lost a significant amount of weight, even though our measurements were like pretty sketchy. I used my bathroom scale to weigh my baby. Um, and then we compared it to her baby scale that she brought, which you can't, you can't compare two different scales to each other. And then I don't remember how, like who was, anyway, it was a little, I, the baby might've had a blanket or like our, it wasn't very good. Um, like record keeping as far as the baby's weight but I think just going off of the fact that at that point the baby was like my baby was falling asleep at my breast in the beginning of the feed she wasn't sucking very well um you could see that the latch was really shallow that it wasn't a great latch I had nipple damage um and her diapers were like the biggest indicator too I think that she was not doing well um she even had um, what's called like brick dust in her diaper, uh, which it's really hard sometimes. Like it can it can feel really complicated, especially for a first time mom to kind of decipher what's going on with the milk supply and all of that. Because something like brick dust can be normal. It can also be an indicator that something is wrong. And for me, the fact that we had so many things that didn't look okay was a was like a clear indication that she was not getting enough milk it wasn't just it wasn't just oh she's crying all the time like if it was just one of those things okay but um especially the diapers um and like she was not having yellow cd poos she was having almost no poo by day five i think that's one of the things that's really um significant for your story and can be helpful to women is 
there wasn't just one or two boxes checked off. Five or six boxes were checked off of, like, there's a big problem here. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. I mean, also, I want to mention that I used to really think that my anatomy was a problem. Um, And so I probably would have grouped that into you know, reasons, things that are going wrong or things that are not optimal, like, um, like my breast size, breast shape, um, lack of breast size growth during uh, pregnancy and postpartum. I don't really feel that way about it now, because I'm exclusively breastfeeding my daughter. And my breasts are still the same breasts from the first time. So um so I think that funny breast that, anatomy. Huh? It's funny that, you know, women's bodies aren't actually the problem. Our bodies are perfect the way they were made and designed. Right. I mean, so I and also I mean full transparency, I am taking Domperidone at this point to help me make a full milk supply. But um and that could mean that maybe that means that there's something hormonally that's going on with me that I don't really know exactly what like I haven't pinpointed what the issue is with that um like why is if I have low prolactin why is it low um but that still doesn't but my anatomy is still fine right that's a hormonal issue that's not an like my breast being too small or too or or to this or to that it has nothing to do with any of that so um yeah like they're still, it wasn't like I started taking Domperidone and my breast grew. My breasts grew. They did not grow. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I, I might have even had a full supply with this second one. Um, I'm not sure. I know my, my breasts were actually the biggest that they were a few days postpartum. It could have meant that they had the most milk then and my baby just was not extracting milk efficiently so anyway um I don't want to get things mixed up but back to my story with my first daughter um uh, this one has a lot to say uh um the baby has a lot to say about it I guess um so you were left off on day five yeah day five lactation consultant comes she tells me I need to start supplementing right away um, somebody goes to the store to buy formula. Um, the lactation consultant hands my baby to my mother with a bottle, um, which is a Komotomo bottle, which is not a good bottle. I did not know until much later on. It's not a good bottle uh, for breastfed babies. But she hands um, the bottle and the baby to my mother without asking me. Um, and I see my mother just like with this she had so much joy on her face that she gets to feed my baby. And I just felt shattered because like moments before that, she told me that I, she thinks I have insufficient glandular tissue just based on looking at my breast. She said that she thinks I have mild insufficient glandular tissue, which that's a weird thing to say. Um, uh, and that maybe I could still exclusively breastfeed. Um, so I, I'm shattered because of that. And then she gives my baby with a bottle to my mother and my mother is, you know, and so my baby is getting her first full feed from somebody else. And, uh, and nobody like really considered me in that moment. Um, 
and I was heartbroken. Um, so yeah. Um, and then I tried to get, we tried to get back from that and we really couldn't. So she also said that my baby had a mild tongue tie, which that's not a thing. Your baby has a tongue tie or they don't. Um, and they can have a posterior tongue tie or an anterior, but, um, mild is not really also if somebody's going to die like the only person who can really diagnose your baby with a tongue tie is the person who's going to release it so um uh yeah well I guess officially diagnosed but um Um, so it would have probably yeah I just want to know I want to know more about how you felt like during like how did you feel before she told you your breasts were insufficient and then gave your baby to your mother with that lactation consultant and how did you feel after she left how did i feel before she told me these things yeah like before she like crushed your dreams and told you your anatomy was insufficient how were you feeling about her and her help okay that's actually a really good question um because that's something I forgot to say. She, I was really grateful to her. She came in and I told her how I had the baby. And she told me that was one of the, one of the good things that she did was she, she said, she said, you did the best that you could do for your baby by having my baby undisturbed at home. So so that could have been a nightmare too. Um, Right. It could, it definitely could have been a nightmare. She could have been like, why did you do this? this is irresponsible you should have had your baby in the hospital but she said having your baby at home the way that you did was the best thing that you could have done for breastfeeding and for you and your baby she had a lot of um she was really proud of me and she was like encouraging everybody else to be really proud of me for what I had done for me and my baby so that was actually really beautiful thank you because I don't (laughs) because I'm like painting this poor woman as like this one way um when the reality is she wasn't all bad so, um, I, th- yeah, I think as we move forward in the podcast, we're going to see this a lot where women in the system are very well-meaning and they do do good, but there's also this other side of being utterly unhelpful and destructive, which is looking you in your face and telling you your breast tissue is insufficient and maybe you can feed your baby and here without even considering you, I'm going to hand your baby off to somebody else to be fed by a bottle yeah it's it's the it's it's evidence of my opinion that the system views mothers as disposable incubators and treats us as such when in fact the opposite is true that we are the most indisposable significant um health factor for our baby yeah thank you caitlin um Oh, another thing she did is that she she told me how to clog clog ducts, and so she started to hand express. It was very painful. Um, did she ask you if you she want? Did she ask you for your permission to start touching your breast? I, I don't think so, and I feel like me saying that hurts is me saying like is part. She didn't say, "Do you want me to stop?" She just said, "I need to do this," which is really Excuse violating <laughs> when somebody is hurting you. Yeah. 
it's like it's like I need to do this or or you know like you have a clogged duct like it I'm sorry but this is just how it has to be and really if you have a clogged duct it should not be hurting when you're expressing if you're expressing um right if my so my baby was not um my baby was not extracting milk efficiently right so in my case it probably would be important for me to keep the milk flowing. But if I'm pressing on my breast in an area, like if I'm pressing on the clogged duct that's already inflamed and in pain, then I'm causing more damage. So um, it probably should have been me doing the expressing since I know what feels okay. Um, it was very hands-on, which for me was, wasn't helpful um, because I felt once she left... Like it felt helpful in the moment that somebody was like kind of helping me and like setting me up with like how to get this baby latched. But it felt disempowering in the way that it felt like once she left, I didn't feel like I could do it on my own. It's like, who's going to set up my pillows? Who's going to put my baby in the right? Like, is this the right position? You know, um, so I'm kind of more of a fan of like verbally guided um like more hands-off approach just because I think it's important for the mother to feel like she can she can position her baby she can position herself um you know those are skills that you have to learn and and for me I can only really learn by I I learn best by doing things myself um with guidance so yeah, she, um, so then that next week was just kind of more of a nightmare. I mean, so the baby, her sleep, you know, everything kind of improved. She was more settled now that she was getting, now that she was getting, unfortunately, it was formula. Um, and my birth keeper, she, she I think she found some, uh, she was like helping me look for donor milk. I, we may have gotten some donor milk in those first few days. I had a friend who ended up donating to us, but she was still mostly formula fed. Um, and my sister had somebody who donated some milk to us. So there was some donor milk, but it wasn't, but I felt, I still felt so overwhelmed that that wasn't. And I still wanted to breastfeed. And so, yeah, the donor milk wasn't the priority. Um, especially in the face of what happened after. Um, so the next day after the lactation consultant, I went to a family doctor. That was a shit show. You um, went to a family doctor with Kendall? With the baby, yeah. Were you alone Kendall. or was her father with you? Um, everybody was with me. My parents, her father. Was he? He might have been, I think it was just him in the room. Me and him in the room. Um, and so the doc, that doctor was like, why did you, why didn't you have your baby in a hospital? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't do my due diligence beforehand, um, uh, with researching doctors, but, um, she was like, why didn't you have your baby in the hospital? Your baby needs all these tests. It's important that she gets all these tests talking about the, like the newborn screening. Um, yep, and essential course, for the baby to stay alive that we prick their foot. Yeah. And so um, my my ex, who was kind of pretty content with me doing all the research and making all the decisions beforehand, all of a sudden did not like the choices that I was making. Um, and he thought that what the doctor was saying was important. And 
that um, it was important for us to get these tests done. Um, he was like, I thought you were going to get these tests done. I was like, yeah, I was thinking about, cause I was thinking about getting those tests done, but then I was like, it's going to be more drama to go to the hospital. So I'm just going to skip it. My baby is fine. Um, and, but he didn't like that. And so, uh, I think it was that following Monday, we went to, we tried to get these new birth, newborn screening tests done on the other side of the Bronx, but they said that we got the wrong paperwork from the doctor or that she didn't fill out what she needed to fill out. And that we needed to go back to our doctor and have her fill it out and then come back. And this was like opposite, hey, 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 stop, stop. This is different. Uh, this was um, different parts of the Bronx. So, um, and we didn't have a car. So we're doing this in, okay baby we're doing this in cabs it's like chilly early spring it was just not with a new baby it was so I decided let's go to the hospital where I would have given birth to her instead of going back and forth and back and forth um I go to the hospital they think that first they won't let us in because there's a measles outbreak in New York City and that was weird and then they let us in and they had a doctor come down and this doctor thought that my baby needed to be resuscitated for some reason there was some miscommunication there and this poor doctor comes down ready to resuscitate a baby um and i'm like my baby's perfectly fine we just came for some newborn screening tests um and a, and a vitamin k shot at that point i was still i was still like willing to do the vitamin k shot um and um yeah so this is all happening eight days postpartum and um uh caitlin was just saying that this does because i'm feeling really hot right now telling this story um right because it is it it was a big trauma um and caitlin caitlin just said yeah, it does sound traumatizing thinking about my early postpartum body trying to navigate the Bronx. And um, and it felt really gaslighting, honestly. The whole time I'm experiencing this, I felt like nobody was considering the fact that I was eight days postpartum and that I should be resting in bed with my baby trying to figure out breastfeeding. Like nobody around me was just like, Claire, you're right. This is wrong. All of this is wrong. You need to be home. It, it felt more like you're selfish. Your baby needs help and your baby needs to be here. And you all you can think about is being back at home in your bed. That's what I felt like. That's what it felt like dealing with the hospital, dealing with my partner. Not my parents as much, but nobody, nobody clearly said, Claire, you're right. You should be home. It sounds like nobody so was sorry. concerned for your health and well-being at all. And it was so upsetting to me. I felt because to me, I understand. Yeah, I feel that angry my right health, now. Yeah, that my health and my baby's health are interdependent. They're not independent of each other. It's like, and if I am not okay right now, then how is my baby okay? Like, we need to both be okay, and nobody cares. Everybody cares about their tests. So, That's so we were in that ER getting these tests done. Um, according to their tests. Uh, my baby was dehydrated. Um, and I, I definitely asked follow-up questions. Um, and the doctor was like, these are good questions. And I asked to see what the results were. Cause I'm just like, if this is just some borderline dehydration, 
then I'm not going to let my baby be admitted. But it, w- it wasn't borderline. It was like clearly, according to their test, dehydration. Um, and I knew. <sighs> was Kendall lethargic? And at I felt all like they took advantage of the was... fact that I. Was Kendall like, did she have muscle tone? No, she was like... not lethargic. She was not lethargic. No, I think that um, she probably was dehydrated. I so what happened? What I realized what happened was is that we were not feeding her frequently enough. Um, I don't think that she it was necessary for her to be hospitalized. I'm pretty sure that I'm like ninety nine percent sure that if we did not hospitalize her, um, not only would they have called child protective services, which they did still, but that that case would have been accepted and opened. And that we would have gotten a visit from Child Protective Services. So, um, so yeah. Uh, but I definitely, I definitely think that feeding her more frequently at home would have addressed it, um, because she she was getting IV fluids, but only for a few hours, and then after that, they just gave her formula every two hours. Um, Were you so able when to I, with her, or did they separate you? So when I. So when I went to um, well, I'll, I'll get to that part. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I skipped so, it. Yeah. So when I went to um, to with the doctor to read the the results for myself, I was separate from my partner and my baby, and so they were able to kind of work on him. And when I got back in the room, he was crying. And I was like, well, I guess I know that we're admitting our baby because my husband is crying. So they scared him, you know, sufficiently. Um, so you know what they said to him? Uh, well, what, what they were telling me is like either my baby's dehydrated or she has some type of blood thing going on where she she has too many red blood cells and they need to do, is it bloodletting or something? Something. So it's like either one of two conditions, but it's like, it's probably dehydration, but it could also be this really rare, scary thing. That's what doctors like to do. They're like, it's probably this one thing, but it could be this other really scary thing. I feel like I've seen them do that before too. I can't remember exactly when, but that's one of the things that they they like to do. Um, I guess they they consider themselves informing you in that sense. Um also, they they when they took uh, my baby's blood, I wasn't in the room, but apparently it was really traumatic. Um, it was traumatic for me to leave my baby to go get a test done. They convinced me to get um, an ultrasound. I got two transvaginal ultrasounds. Um, Why? They, they say that you needed a postpartum ultrasound. Uh, they were concerned that I was still bleeding because I had a nurse who came into my room, a male nurse. Of course you were still bleeding. Oh, you were running baby. around New York eight days postpartum. Well, it was normal Lokia. <laughs> it was normal Lokia. And I was like bleeding. I'm not hemorrhaging. And everybody kept saying, oh, you look so pale. I'm just like, well, because I haven't eaten today and I barely drank anything today. And I'm, you're scaring the shit out of me. Days <laughs> like all right so so I did get these tests done um and they said there was a uh, retained um what is the word anyway there, there was some retained placenta yeah there's a, a um there's a different term for it but because my placenta had been born right 
um, which I forgot to mention, I pulled it out. I pulled very hard. And so, um, I mean, I didn't feel pain when I pulled it out. It felt like it was just kind of sitting in there. Um, and it was maybe an hour after my birth, but it was, it was really challenging to get out. Um, and so I don't know if that caused an issue or what it's possible. There's no way to really know. Um, if I was in the hospital, they would have tried to remove it even earlier. You know, that wouldn't have changed things. But um, so they said I still had some in there. Um, yeah. And it had a, if I would have seen the, the actual ultrasound scan, um, I would not have consented to the second transvaginal ultrasound. I let them do a uh, pelvic exam. Um, and she pulled out like this big blood clot um, and she was like well maybe that was all that was in there and you can go get another ultrasound and have it checked out and if it's clear then you can go home and I wait did and she then pull I, her hands into your uterus into my vagina okay not Just into my you? uterus yeah okay. definitely not into my uterus but okay. it was still very um very uncomfortable Oh yeah, the um, huge violation, transvaginal ultrasounds, and then a stranger's hands in your vagina, eight days. I mean, um, like that's horrifying to me. I mean, all of this is, I, my view is that all of this is rape. So, um, it's all very violating. Um, having wands and hands, like I, I didn't have any vaginal checks, um, in my pregnancy because I'm against that there's no point there's no purpose introducing bacteria and then all that stuff kind of went out the window um postpartum so um i and then i started to experience a lot of pain in my vaginal area my yoni um my vulva after the second transvaginal um ultrasound and so and then so that on top of fear of like what's going on like why like i thought i thought that i was torn (laughs) Um, or that they had opened a tear or something or made a tear worse because I was feeling more pain and having a little more bleeding. Apparently I didn't have any tears though. Um, um, according to do them. You, do you think that you were in a flight, fright, flight, fight, freeze response? Oh, absolutely. So you weren't consenting to things you wouldn't normally if you had access to your full brain? I mean, I was, I was sleep deprived, starved. Oh, yeah you know and it, by the time we left the, you no by the time we left it was three o'clock in the morning um and at that point so we were separated um it was taking forever like every little thing took an hour so if they ordered a test if to have the test done to have the doctor come in between every step was about an hour of time so we were there from like 12 in the afternoon to three in the morning and so when the ambulance was ready to take the baby to the children's hospital I decided to let them go ahead and take her along with her father so that we didn't have to wait more additional hours for, you know, if I were to refuse it at that time and ask for a later one so we could go together. So um, it was, it was close to three o'clock in the morning when, when they had a, a different doctor come in and with her, I don't know, student or resident, I don't know, intern, um, who told me that vaginas are dirty, basically. <laughs> and they were saying that um, these last people that came and said, it's important for you to either stay 
no well i guess i would have to stay both both options either take medication to help me expel whatever was in my uterus or to um or to go under general anesthesia to have a dnc to remove uh manually remove whatever was left in my uterus and I said, absolutely not. I said, like, because I knew I wasn't dying. I wasn't hemorrhaging. I didn't have a fever. I didn't have pain. I had no um, symptoms of a retained placenta. So um, all I had was normal lochia. Um, like, I wasn't feeling pads. I was probably wearing the same pad the entire time I was there. Maybe I changed it once. I don't know. Once or twice. But I wasn't changing it every yeah, you know, when power. you assessed your own self, you didn't feel a problem. No. So um, so I said, absolutely not. I said, I'll think about it. But right now I'm going to leave and I'm going to go be with my daughter. My daughter is at a different hospital. I am not staying here. I'm like, I'm not dying. This is not an emergency. I need to go be with my daughter. Thank you very much. So I scheduled a, an appointment to go into a clinic later that week. And then I went with my daughter. Um, so I feel so like this how is long getting were you away. Separated. We were separated. Oh, I don't even remember. Maybe a few hours. Okay. I don't know. Maybe five hours. I. It, it's hard. Be, so like, time gets warpy for sure. Yeah. Well, I. I feel like I'm like off. Like I know this is not like directly talking about the breastfeeding, but all of this impacted. The breastfeeding and it all started with what was going wrong with the breastfeeding I feel like like I think um I, I think if I wouldn't have felt so concerned about making a doctor appointment um and I honestly thought the doctor appointment wouldn't hurt so I wouldn't have felt so, so concerned about making that appointment had breastfeeding been going wonderfully for yourself yeah. or for her I think for both of us, okay. maybe if I was experiencing pain, but she was still having good diapers, I probably still wouldn't have gone. So yeah, I it, like mostly for her, like if it, if it was showing that she was fine, then I probably wouldn't have gotten other people involved in that way. Um, so, and I probably, yeah. So I, I mean, who, who's to say exactly what would have happened, but but it's directly tied. Like it all started with the breastfeeding. Okay. So, so um, just to recap where we are. So um, the, I, you went to, you went to the ER to get access mm -hmm. to newborn screening tests because uh, the Bronx doctors were giving you rigmarole back and forth. And yeah. then in the process of getting those tests, you end up with two transvaginal ultrasounds and a pelvic exam, and they separate for you from your baby and admit your baby into a children's hospital, which you then have to travel to. Yeah. Okay. On the other side of the Bronx, which is where we were initially, it's the same hospital that we were that went the first time. Okay. So, um, so yeah, they give her formula there they're monitoring her diapers they take her off of the iv finally which when they oh when they placed the that's what it was when they placed the iv that was the traumatic part apparently there was a woman in another room and she even cried just hearing my baby scream um 
and her father was definitely traumatized by that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, she ends up being fine, but they call CPS uh, in New York City. It's called ACS. So th they call them, uh, they call ACS. ACS does not accept the case, thankfully, because I didn't do anything wrong. I like giving birth at home is not even free birthing is not against the law. Um, and I didn't refuse care. I brought my baby in. So thankfully, um, thankfully there is some sense <laughs> in ACS because I've heard stories of things that don't make any sense and cases being accepted and children being taken away <laughs> probably for less. Um, but I had a feeling also because I, I worked for the city. So, um, so I had a feeling that, and I had tried to make, um, uh, in the past I've had to make a referral that wasn't accepted. So I was pretty sure they wouldn't accept the referral, um, based on their criteria, like the fact that she needed treatment and I stayed mm -hmm. according to them, she needed treatment and I stayed. Um, so that, that in and of itself shows that I am not being neglectful. So I had a huge meltdown in the hospital and the children's hospital um I basically like crumpled into a pile on the a sobbing mess on the floor um I told my my ex at some point to stop talking to me because he kept asking me questions and I felt like I was losing my mind I was severely sleep deprived um I couldn't sleep while I was there uh so then we finally get discharged and they did give me a pump while I was there so I tried to pump I had a pediatrician come in to see the baby and I asked her some questions about breastfeeding and she tried to be helpful, but she also told me fed is best. And we like basically got into like a disagreement over that. I'm like, fed is not best. Obviously I'm not going to let the bare minimum required. <laughs> I, I'm just like, I'm not going to like, I'm obviously going to feed my child. I'm feeding my child. I'm letting you feed my child formula. I still want to breastfeed, but is not best. And she, she was just very upset with me that I did not think that is best, um, that I disagreed with her. Um, oh, wow. I'm getting a headache. I will continue the story, but I just want to say that I am getting a headache. <laughs> we um, might need to break this into two parts. Okay. Oh, we've been here a while. Yeah. Right? Let me know. I don't know how long. I don't know how to tell how long the recording is. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how long the recording is. Oh, but break, we could always just break it up recording-wise. Yeah, it could be too. Yeah. So um, how do I wrap up this part? I mean, okay, wait, hold on a second. Was there something yeah. that initiated the meltdown crying on the floor in the hospital? Was there like a straw that broke the camel's back? Or you just uh, actually allowed yourself to feel your feelings and you crumpled? I think yeah. it was an argument I was having with my partner because he kept kind of badgering me with questions and I, I don't even remember what they were I just knew that I told him I said look I am not the Claire that you know right now like I don't know who or what I am right now but this is like my brain is not functioning can you please stop asking me questions and like can you stop because he wasn't like holding me and supporting me and like he was just like badgering me and having an argument with me. And I said, I can't do this. I am not a person right now. Please stop. And then he continued. Oh. So, yeah. Um, and then on top of that, just, I wanted to leave and it just felt like I could, like we would never leave. I think we spent less than 24 hours there. Mm -hmm. 
but that felt like an eternity. Um, yeah, I I would argue that that was not just twelve. You know, Nikki, it's not. It wasn't the Nikki technically, but Nikki yeah. hours don't count the same as regular hours. Yeah, it's horrible. And now, this wasn't even Nikki. We had like our own private room. This was like far better than Nikki, and it was still a nightmare. Um, yeah. So. So we finally left. Um, uh, I was, I had completely lost my appetite probably for a few days. I still made myself eat, but I had no appetite. Um, I started hallucinating. I would be like where I'd wake up and I would hear a baby in my bed and I would feel a baby's weight in my bed, but I'd be searching through my sheets and I couldn't find her. Um, and it wasn't she? until maybe, huh? Where was she, she? Would probably, she would probably be with her grandparents. Or because they were trying to let trying to let me sleep. Totally. Um, so she'd either be with her grandparents or with her dad in like the next room. But um, I mean, it might have even happened while she was like next to me in the crib because the, the crib was side cards of the bed. But I would think she's in the bed with me. She's crying and I can feel her wait and I can hear her, but I can't find her. And maybe it was like the third time that that it happened that I realized it was my mind and I knew that I didn't have to like panic that it wasn't actually happening but yeah that was that was hallucinations <laughs> um and yeah I and I knew that all this time I should have been pumping regularly like I had been put on a triple feeding schedule but that was not happening while I was in the hospital you know um with the baby I would pump when I could so yeah um so eventually so that week was full of like unnecessary stupid unhelpful appointments one was to a breastfeeding group she just told me some herbs to use and told me to just shove my baby on the breast um I felt like nobody was kind of listening to the fact that I was saying that it was painful um nobody was really addressing the painful last um well women women suffering isn't really cause for concern right uh that's true that's 100 percent true <laughs> our pain isn't real no, um it's imaginary we're hysterical yeah so um yeah a lot of unnecessary doctor appointments i don't think it's not really important to get into those details i just knew i should have been home resting and trying to breastfeed and that's not what was happening um and then And then, like, I think the following week, I finally went to New Jersey with my parents, and I felt a little bit like I could breathe because I was away from all of that. Um, And I continued to try to breastfeed her when I was at my parents' house, but it was painful. My nipples were raw. Anytime, like, any type of fabric would touch my breasts, I'd, I'd cry. I'd, like, sob. And I, I would end up just wearing silver, like, I had a setup where I'd wear silverettes and uh, breast pads and my bra so that nothing could touch, brush up against my nipples. What are silverettes? Um, um, silverettes are these, they're sterling silver, um, little tiny um, shells that you can put over your nipple that's supposed to help with healing. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this feels like it's going to be a two-part story. <laughs> I might have to stop after this part okay. with Kendall. Um, just because I want, I want 
Lila's story to have because it's definitely its own big story. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, it was around six weeks postpartum that I um, decided that I was going to stop breastfeeding. I mean, what else did I do? I mean, so I went to a pediatrician slash IBCLC. I went to her breastfeeding group. I, that was, I mentioned that before. Um, and then when I was in New Jersey, I went to another breastfeeding group. Um, that was run by a, an IBCLC. Um, and I like cried to this woman and I felt like she didn't really like listen to me um, or hear me. And she was just kind of like, well, it depends what your goals are. And I'm just like, what? Like, I just told you my whole story and you're telling me like, what are my goals? Like, I wanted to breastfeed my baby. I'm confused. I think because there's this emphasis on like pumping and like, it's like, is my goal to build up my supply or is it to, or is it to breastfeed my baby? And I don't, so she was like, I feel like that was like, she was kind of separating those things out. Um, it's like, I always wanted to exclusively breastfeed my baby. Um, I tried using a supplemental nursing system. I could not get the hang of it. Um, and, and the thing is, I felt like that still didn't solve the fact that breastfeeding was painful um okay baby yeah that still didn't address the fact that breastfeeding was painful um yeah i i, there, I had someone who was a friend at the time i remember talking to her a lot um and i remember being like i just i think i thought i wanted to stop and i told her that i wanted to stop and she was supportive she was breastfeeding her own child um yeah she was like supportive for me stopping um and like if that's what I wanted to do um and I learned eventually that that's not really what I wanted to do um it's like I wanted breastfeeding to work out I wanted the pain to stop I thought if I stop breastfeeding I'll stop crying like I was crying all the time it's like if I stop breastfeeding I'll stop crying all the time I won't be in pain um and so I had like a little photo shoot where my mother took some breastfeeding photos of me and my daughter. And then maybe a couple of weeks later was when I officially stopped breastfeeding. It was hard to stop because things were changing with my breast. Like I was starting to leak. I was like, there's milk there. You know, I was hand expressing and lots of milk was and more milk was shooting out than was initially. Um, like my breast felt a little bit fuller. So I'm like, there's milk, but you know, I'm like, I'm not sure how much milk and is it enough milk? And it's probably not enough milk. And so eventually I stopped. Um, and then it was uh, four months postpartum when I decided that I wanted to try and relactate. Um, and I think I got about two weeks into it before I stopped because it, it was like, it felt like I was putting myself in prison. <laughs> Because it's like, now I have to stay home and pump every two hours, every two to three hours. And like, that is my life now, just pumping and feeding the baby um, and taking care of the baby and not going out. And I had already started to get a taste of what it was like to have a social life again. And I didn't know if I wanted to give that up. Um, and two weeks into it, it just felt emotionally really, really hard. 
especially this time around I'm not having people cook meals for me or anything like that like I had to take care of myself so I gave up and at that point also she wasn't latching anymore and that just added extra heartbreak to like why did I give up the first time because she was latching now not only do I have to get my supply up but I also have to try and get her to latch again so um and then still not knowing if it was going to be painful like I'm like maybe her mouth is bigger maybe it won't hurt this time but what if she really needs a tongue tie release it was all very confusing um and painful um I suffered from postpartum depression for a year maybe um I definitely had suicidal ideation um and then eventually um I worked with Lisa Masters uh to start a business honestly and it turned out that I didn't actually want to be a postpartum doula or a birth doula or or birth support person I actually wanted to help women with breastfeeding because at that point I had learned a ton about breastfeeding um but I really needed to deal with my own trauma and grief um yeah and so I think through that through that whole process of free birth and motherhood and breastfeeding and grief and depression the primal dyad was forged (laughs) and um yeah and then and then I decided I wanted to have another baby so which I think I'm gonna stop now yeah I think that this is probably good for today and then we will pick up Claire's story in the next episode with her new baby, Lila. And that's the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love it if you left us a positive review. And please feel free to share this episode with anyone that you feel may benefit from it. We would also love to hear from you, especially if you have a story you'd like to share with us. You can find us at at the breast podcast on instagram or you can email us at at the breast podcast at gmail.com new episodes drop every wednesday thank you for joining us mm-hmm.